0: <laughs> we'll be in Job tonight. Uh, at the beginning of Job. I'm trying to make this. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's, I was going to try to do that, but that's not that big of a deal. I know you're in Revelation, um, it's what Terry's been going over with you, but I, I don't want to to disrupt that or or try to teach you anything that I don't understand, so, uh, and Terry told me that y'all had a, a few books that you wanted to discuss before going through the Bible again in chronological order, uh, that the, the regular schedule doesn't really... Uh, hit as detailed as you would like and that Job is one of those. So for tonight and then the the four times that I'll be with y'all when Terry is in Hawaii at the end of the month, um, we'll talk about Job. So when we get through chapter one or chapter two or however long we get through today and you think, wow, that's a long book and we've left so many chapters on the table, don't worry. All you have to do is come back, and we'll talk about the rest. Um, probably not as in much detail as we will Job 1 and 2, but we will talk about the rest. All right, so Job is a really interesting book. Uh, it's, some people say it's a literary masterpiece. It's um, sometimes studied in secular classes, not just religious classes, because of the way it's written. But it's really good because it starts off in in prose. It's a it's a narrative. It's a, it's like it belongs with the books of history, um, but then the vast majority of the book is written in a poetic dialogue, and so uh, that puts it in in poetry. Um, but it, it's a great book, and it's hard to date really because it, it's sort of separated on its own. There's not. Doesn't seem to be a big influence of Moses or Abraham in, in there, so uh, yeah, some people think that it was written, that it occurred before the time of Moses, and which she did have, we talked about in our class pretty often, um, and just in the first six chapters of Genesis, it's just a, a couple of pages in your Bible, but that covers um, 2,000 years, thereabouts. And then you have a lot of time after that, before Moses. Um, could have been written after the Moses. Could have been. Some people look at Uz, which is the city where he was from, the land where he was from, and try to draw some guesses from there. But really, we don't know, and it's not that important. Um, but Job is very interesting. It's very peculiar with the way that that God deals with Job, and the way that God deals with the devil, and the way that the devil deals with Job here in the first couple of chapters, we have a, uh, a cycle of events here that sets up the whole, the rest of the situation. And, and most of Job is uh, stressful because he's sad. He's sad. He's going through a really, really tough time. That's when people sit, talk about the patience of Job. Well, if you don't already know, then we're going to to figure that out tonight and Why why somebody would allude to him, talking about patience. he um, start in verse 1, uh, chapter 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So there from the very beginning, here to help you throughout the rest of the book, you know that Job is a good guy. He's the hero. Um, he is blameless, upright. He's somebody who's admired, and that's going to help us... <coughs> understand. So later on, uh, we won't talk about it today, but his friends will talk about how wicked he must have been to be punished and to have lost all the things that he lost because he was serving some sort of punishment for something terrible that he had done. and He just had to, all he had to do is figure that out and repent of it and make things right. Um, but that's not the case. That's not why he suffered. It wasn't a punishment. It, he was a good guy. Verse 2 says, There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Um, a couple of things I want to look at there just in that verse is the numbers. He has seven sons, three daughters, equals ten children, right? And he has 7,000 sheep. Three thousand camels equals ten thousand. He has five hundred yoke oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a lot of servants. But seven, three, and ten—those are numbers that represent completeness in the Bible, and that's what his family and his wealth is made up of. Um, there may be there may be some kind of purpose behind that. Maybe not. Maybe that's just. How the numbers fell out, but maybe God gave him that to, um, to help us understand His connection with Job, the completeness that Job ha- had about how well-rounded he was and his godliness and and that sort of thing. That may be uh, diving a little too much into it, reading too much into it. Um, but anytime you see numbers like that, you know all throughout the Bible, they're important a lot of times. So, figure we look at those and and just mention that. Um, but he was also really, really wealthy. as this verse just says that he was the greatest in all of this land, so that could mean that he was just the most righteous. It could mean that he was the, the wisest. It could mean that he was the best basketball player. Uh, it could mean uh, a lot of different things, but probably it's talking about his, his wealth because it's coming right at the end talking about his wealth. So he says he's got all this uh, these animals and, and these servants and, and all of these things, uh, so that he's the, the greatest in all the land. So uh, God has been materially taking care of him. And as far as this world is concerned, has has really sort of made his life very cushy. Um, and that's going to come into play in really, really, really soon. Yes, sir? That's true. That's true. It is worded different. and separated. Um, different. And it's probably significant to point out that his children were listed first. Because they're more important than, than what he owns. And when he loses it all, spoiler alert, uh, that's probably what he was upset about the most, is losing his children. Um, But he was such a good man that it says, when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So, um, I, I don't know how... If this is good or bad, maybe he didn't trust his, his kids or, or something like that. Or maybe he was just trying to cover all his bases. But he um, he felt responsible for them, and especially a spiritual responsibility. So they they had a lot of things. Um, they had enough to feast all the time. And every time that they would do that, he would sacrifice to God just in case, on their behalf, just in case they did anything wrong. And that's probably a good practice uh, for us as parents to pray for our children in a similar manner. Um, whether, you know, whether they go as far as to curse God like he, He's scared they might do. and maybe a, uh, a state of inebriation or something like that. Um, or if it's just, you know, a struggle that they repent of right away and understand that it was wrong. Um and and go to God and that sort of thing, but it's it's always good to have your your parents and, and your father to be a spiritual leader that keeps that importance, keeps that relationship with God as a priority and that obedience to God as a pri- priority in their life and and live that example. Yes, sir. Um. Well, I did not deliberately do that but as I was reading I was hoping that y'all would just connect it in your heads and not notice that I skipped it um it. but thanks for uh thanks for pointing that out so we'll read the first the fourth verse it says, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them um a celebration this is uh I don't know how wicked these parties were. Maybe they were usually in good nature, but it sounds like the the eating and drinking wasn't completely wholesome all the time. I tried to censor it for you. I really did. But uh you know, I guess I guess we can't leave anything out of the Bible. Maybe my uh, my translation says children have sinned, but um, it could be the way. I had the ESV. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets really interesting. So, so far we just have a, a good guy who's taking care of his family, not that peculiar. Um, Then we get kind of a behind-the-scenes look that we don't really get anywhere else in the Bible or in the world. Um, It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? All right, stop right there for a second. So, God is talking to the sons of God. And um, they, they come together, and it, it seems to be a... Some kind of organized fashion and appointment. Maybe this was a regular meeting that they had. Um, I don't know. They didn't explain. Job doesn't explain what the the nature of the meeting was. But it says that God is there. And the sons of God are there. And who are the sons of God? What did you say? Angels. Angels. We are... Um, yeah, Sons of God is, that phrase pops up a lot in the Bible, and that brings some good discussion each time it does. Um, sometimes it's referred to as righteous people who are children of God, sometimes it refers to, or people, you know, interpret it as being angels, or, or somewhere in between. Um, I, I believe it's talking about angels here. Um. And Satan shows up, probably an intruder, because he's a bad guy. Another spoiler alert, the devil's bad. Um, He's a bad guy. He's probably intruding, but it doesn't tell us that outright. So maybe he is invited to this. However it is, God doesn't necessarily welcome him, but he doesn't angrily kick him out either. He just deals with him, and he even poses a challenge for him. So, he says to, first thing he says to Satan is, where'd you come from? From where have you come? So, Satan said, I'm traveling around the world, going to and fro from the earth, right? God knew that anyway. God doesn't have to ask any questions because he knows all the answers, but he asked him anyway. Uh, And then he says, have you considered my servant Job? Okay. And this is sort of the hidden, the hidden discussion, because as far as we know, Job never in his entire life knows that this is going on, knows that this went on, that God talked to Satan about him. So, uh, imagine the, the pressure that has just been put on him. It's probably a good thing he didn't know. Um, but imagine the pressure that's just been put on him as being offered up as a specific Challenge to the devil, right? Just put yourself in that position. If you, knew. if um, God or Satan's, you know, being pesky and, and bothering God, and um, he says, "I'm trying to find somebody to tempt," and God says, "Well, have you considered my servant Jim? Have you considered my servant Patrick? Have you considered my servant Kathy?" And then, all of a sudden, on one hand, that's a really big compliment, right? But on the other hand, that's scary. Because if you haven't been under attack enough already, then it's really going to come. Well, that's what happens. At first, he says, listen, I'm not going to touch him because you put a wall around him. He says, "Um, does Job fear God for no reason? The, the devil's reasoning here. The devil says, Job is only righteous because you blessed him too much. You gave him too much stuff. He doesn't have any problems in his life. He doesn't have any worries. Financially, he's good. His family's good. Everybody loves him. Everybody admires him. Everybody respects him. He's got no problems. He's healthy. He's, he's great. Why has he got to complain about? Why would he ever curse you? Because all you have done... Is just give and give and give to Him. He's got no reason to ever want to curse you. Uh, but I think that's, the reason why I think that's kind of funny is because I think that's kind of opposite, right? And I'll tell you what I mean. Um, both in our lives today, in the world that we live in today, and with biblical examples, it, it seems like it's easier... To be faithful to God, if you're already a, a, a Christian, somebody that that loves God, it's easier to be faithful to Him when you're forced to depend on Him, when when you're lacking, when we when, when you don't have all those comforts, and then whenever you do, then you start to think about yourself a little bit more and think about God a little bit less, and, and proud of what you've accomplished and and how you're um, maybe you're start to think of yourself as as better than those around you a little bit because of all the things that you have. It's easier to think that way. I read, I don't know how true this is, probably, it sounded pretty true. I read, somebody posted it on Facebook. Um, so it's got to be true. But they were talking about, uh, they were talking about a president, um, way back, I want to say Calvin Coolidge. Is he the one that didn't talk much? Silent Cow or something like that. Anybody know? Yes. Okay. And they're talking about uh, he. Everybody wanted him to run for re-election because he was a really popular president, and he declined. And he had to say over and over again, "No, I'm not going to do it." Because they were kept trying to put his, put his name uh, in for re-election anyway and, and nominate him. And he had to say, "No, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want to do it." So they finally uh, later. He gave a reasoning, and he said, listen, when you're president, I know it doesn't seem like it to us because presidents are always under attack, but they get a lot of praise too. And he said, when you're president, people tell you how great you are, and you get a lot of followers, and people will just follow you blindly no matter what, and go to your head. I don't want that to happen to me, and so I can't stay in office any longer. Right? If only Nebuchadnezzar had thought that way. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? great king of Babylon, and God had to turn him, at least turn him into a a lifestyle where he's living like an animal, with long hair and, and long nails for seven spans of time, because of his pride. He just standing out there admiring his kingdom, look at all that I have, look at all that I've done. And God said, you need to be humbled, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and and came out of that situation praising God and glorifying God um, because God is the one who deserves the glory. But he didn't realize that when he had everything. He realized that when he had nothing, when he was living subhuman. Look at uh, Luke 16 with the rich man and Lazarus. Which one went to Abraham's bosom and which one was in torment? Lazarus the beggar was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man... Was in torment. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, I, "I've done everything that was asked of me. I followed the the law perfectly." And Jesus said, "Good job. Now sell everything that you have uh, and give to the poor." And then he went away sorrowful. And then Jesus said to his disciples, "It's easier for a rich man, uh, or easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven." Right. Now all of that, not to say that rich people can't go to heaven. Rich people can't be righteous. I mean, exhibit A, Job. You also got Abraham. You got David. You got all these people who were very wealthy and powerful, and um, and were very very righteous. But it seems like a lot of times it's when you're a little more destitute, when you're a little, when you're struggling a little bit more, is when. Your faith in God is stronger. Does that make sense? Does anybody disagree with that? Well, it, yeah, that's a, I agree with that. Uh, I, I'm just going to look at it from a different standpoint. I'm thinking that, that the devil thinks that God is bribing Job for his devotion. Yeah. So that. That God wants Job to stay righteous, maybe because of his influence in the land, maybe? He can get other people to be righteous towards God? That's true. That's true. You can definitely see the devil's line of reasoning here. Well, he, hates, he hates God and his people, therefore he hates me, and he wants to destroy me. i no mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. So, here you have... You have Satan, and he's God has given him the green light to go and make Job suffer. Make him hurt. Make him pay. Now remember, God has said that he's never going to let you be tempted more than you can allow. i got those verses down here. I may be saying them a little early, but I want to go ahead and say them. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation. This is New American Standard. Uh... No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Psalm 121 uh, says, those eight verses say, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from which shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil, and he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So, for for righteous men, you know, of course, we all sin. Um, but we don't have to. We're, we're never tempted so much that there's not a way out. There's never a dead-end situation. God is always going to provide a way of escape. God will always uh, be there to give us strength, uh, and we just got to turn to Him and let Him do it. Um, so even when this is going on, as we enter into, we don't know, I mean you're probably familiar with the story of Job, but if we're reading this for the first time, at this point we don't know exactly how Satan is going to attack Job, but, but we know that something big is coming. Right, something big is coming. We, we've already heard of all the things that he had, and so even knowing that, it's important to understand that Job doesn't have to curse God; that he has an alternative solution. And that's true for us as well. And no matter how bad it gets, uh, understand that we don't have to curse God; that we don't have to sin that we can still maintain our righteousness through anything. Um, And hopefully you don't ever have to endure anything that exceeds what Job is about to go through. So let's see what happens. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the uh, Sabaeans And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. I and I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. The devil really uh, did did a number there. Um. So you have two cycles here, a lot of bad news, and it all comes at once. You have twice you have disaster at the hands of men, and twice you have natural disasters that that strike, and they take away his stuff, they take away everything. We had that list of of his kids, and then his camels and sheep and oxen and, and servants and all that, and they're gone, except for the just handful of servants that were able to escape to deliver the message to Job. And that phrase that kept appearing just makes it all the worse, where he says, and while he was yet speaking, another came to him to give him more bad news. More bad news, more bad news, more bad news. I have, um, Lena's, Sam's sick today. Lena's not feeling that great either, and so she's not here. So I feel safe now to to say this. Um, uh, but there was a some time ago. I I don't remember what it was, but there was a one day where I received four or five negative n- news. Nothing, nothing on the level of this. It, it just barely bothered me at all. But I knew that Lena would not like hearing all of this, and especially at once. And one of those things I've still yet to discuss with her because. I knew that I couldn't give it all to her at once. She needs some recovery time, um, so that you know, space it out a little bit, so she can deal with in small samples. And so uh, that that's how that's how it is, right? We have. I, I know times when I get mad. I, I don't get mad that much or stressed out that much. But whenever it, it just becomes too much, it's not because one single bad thing has happened. It's usually because. It keeps piling on, piling on, piling on, piling on before I get a chance to, to recover and to deal with it. Um, and I think, all right, just leave me alone. Give me, give me a, some space. Give me some time to figure this out. And then we'll deal with those things. All right. uh, I'm a guy, so and I'm a simple guy at that. So I hate dealing with more than one thing at a time. Um, anyways. And, and so there you have it. Well, here all this stuff is coming at him at once. So he, he's shocked at losing his animals. And he's shocked at losing those other animals. And he's shocked at losing those servants. And all he, he's probably thinking, okay, starting to think, how can I recover from this? Right, where can I get some more, more animals? Or, or maybe those are some, some losses that I can just, uh, just say, oh, well, uh, that's all right. They weren't that important anyway. They're just animals. Uh, I have others. And he's already thinking about having to deal with it. But before he can uh, you know, complete that thought, somebody else is coming in and saying, all right, here's this and this. And then it ends with, and by the way, you don't have any children left. Can you imagine having ten children, and then just like that, you don't have any? Yeah, that, that's the scariest thing. I know there's some of you here who have lost uh, lost children. And I can't even imagine. I know... Um, there's somebody at the hospital that works at the hospital that Lena knows, and there's they had a four-year-old. I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl, but just last week drowned at bathtub beach, and it was uh, the details that surround. That's bad enough, but the details that surrounded that drowning just made it made it awful, and I I couldn't imagine how how you could bear with that. But I mean, he's got to. Uh, he loses all ten of his kids at once. Willie first, then you. You know, Satan, was a gambler, that once he takes all of his children, that he would cuss God and die, mm-hmm. and he knew that God wasn't going to help children, You know, so that was a, a gambler. and he figured that he could win. For sure, he did a good job. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And his wife, uh, she's going to pop up here in a minute. Um, right now, they hadn't talked about her at all yet, but but she did. That's something to remember about uh, David and Bathsheba, too. This is kind of a, a rabbit we're chasing here for a second. But, um, you know, David fasts, and he's so sad, and he's grieving whenever he has to lose that child that he had with Bathsheba. Um, but his sin didn't just cause him to be punished for it. But because of his sin, Bathsheba not only lost her husband, but she lost that same child too. So she had to deal with two deaths and, and all other, other kinds of stress just because of his selfishness and, and worldliness. Um, so that's true. Yeah, Oftentimes you're not the only one that's affected, though it may feel that way. Uh, Going back to Satan, you know, he, he brought the big guns. He said, um, God said, you only have one rule, you can't touch Job. So he said, all right, I'll, um, I'll touch those that he's close to, the ones that he loves. Well, then we get Job arose, he tore his robe. Obviously, he's sad, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. Satan thought, if I take all that away, he'll curse God. Well, he's distraught. He's terribly upset, but his reaction is to worship. That's the first thing he does. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at that perspective. He doesn't All the things that he lost, uh, I'm just talking about his wealth now. Let's not talk about his children. But all, all those things, he doesn't count those as things that he has earned or that he has gained. But he says the Lord gave it to me, and if He wants to take it away, that's His prerogative. I'm only here to serve God. Reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they um, they had to stand up. Uh, nobody, nobody else is doing. It. Nobody else has the courage. Nobody else has the the fortitude. Nobody else is that faithful to God. But uh, when they're the only ones that don't bow down to that that big old image, and um, they're sort of trying to encourage one another and talk to one another. And they say, you may be burned up in the furnace. And they say, I can't remember the exact words, I don't, I'm not able to quote it, but to the effect of God may save us. He can, He certainly can. He has the ability, ability to, but He might not. We may be burned alive here in a minute. But that's not our concern. Our job is to serve God and Him alone. And, and that's kind of the same same thing that Job deals with. He says, listen, I may be rich. I may have nothing. And it's not my concern to think about that. All I have to worry about is following God. Obeying God. Um, now if only he could keep up this... You know, this wisdom and perspective throughout the whole book. Yes, sir. I think, suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's difficult. One thing that's difficult about uh, the account of Job is the idea that he, um, he's righteous. That God's allowing this to happen. That he even puts his name forward. Because a lot of times we th- this does come, his suffering comes from the devil, you know, God's not going to, to make us suffer. Um, James tells us every good and perfect gift is from above. Um, and tells us that God won't tempt us. And that God uh, can't be tempted himself. But, you know, we we think that if anything, it's from bad people. If it's us, if it's a stranger, if it's the devil, that suffering comes from, from worldliness. Suffering comes from... Um, mistakes that are being made from evil and that that's where atheists sort of jump in is doesn't God have a responsibility to keep that from happening if he has the ability to keep it from happening and that's really a you know, deep hole to go down but um, at the bottom of it you get to the point of love and uh, and the choices that have to go in. And, and here, even with Job is a perfect example, that sure, he loves God, and we know that he loves God, and God knows that he loves him when he's wealthy and he has everything. But when you get to the point where it's all taken away from him, and he still loves God, then he really does. He really, really does. He's not just loving God on a superficial level of, he's my provider, but he's my God. Yes, sir. I was just going to say, and I believe that Job, thinks he thought that God was doing that to him, not Satan, right? hmm Sure. And still God. Right. Absolutely. I got this here. But sometimes we have a things what call. trouble. We have to rely on God That's what we should get in God. Sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, we're about out of time, so I, I don't want to, to get into the to round two, uh, where the devil t- takes it up a notch. Uh, I guess we'll deal with that here in a couple of weeks. But I do want to talk about, you mentioned James earlier, and uh, there's an interesting uh, couple of verses in James that I think relates to what's going on here. Um, he says that we we had not because we asked not, and... Um, we ask but we do not receive because we ask with the the wrong intentions, or, so, somebody finish that verse for me? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I think that's what Satan's counting on, is that this sort of, a, a little bit superficial relationship that Job, he thinks, has with God, and that he... Just ask God for something and God gives it to him. But I don't think that's how it is. I think Job is more of a guy that is how James is telling us we should be. That we ask God for the right things. We want the right things. If we ask God for the same things that he wants to happen, then he's always going to make it happen. Right? So if I say, um, or you know, as long as it fits the guidelines of the way things are set up, So if I ask God for a, uh, what I want really bad, I'll take a boat. If I ask God for a boat, if I pray, uh, Lord, I I really want a boat uh, tomorrow, and um, it's sunny weather, sunny weather, and um, I appreciate that, that's not going to happen because it's it's really selfish and unimportant for me. Maybe if I work towards it, that'll happen one day. Yes, ma'am? Right, and you ask amiss, that you may consume upon your lust. So we ask uh, selfishly. And maybe our prayers should be more focused on others and bigger things and God's plans than our own short-sighted ones. Um, That's it. Thank you so much. We'll have a prayer, and and that'll be it tonight. Lord, thank you for all the blessings you gave us. Thank you so much for your love for us and, and what you do provide for us. Uh, we thank you for the the gift of eternal life, the gift of your love, and the gift of Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray that we always bear that in mind as we go through any kind of struggles, that we can maintain our focus on you and uh, maintain perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.